Extra, extra, read all about it. The Avatar has been found. Episode 1, The Boy in the Iceberg and the Avatar Returns. Good morning, Water Nation. The weather for today is cold and icy down there. You might see some penguins sliding around because, uh, you know, we're in the South Pole. If you're just visiting, it's not uncommon for locals to be taking boats around because there's not much else to do. If you dare, you can join them. Beware of the Fire Nation, though. You'll need a heavy jacket that is warm and waterproof. Enjoy your stay in the Southern Water Tribe. Welcome to the Four Nations Report and Avatar Rewatch podcast. Before we get back into the show, we wanted to introduce ourselves. My name is Martha and I co-host a podcast called Martha and Colby Grow Up. I have never seen Avatar besides, you know, weekly episode week to week that we're doing. And you can find me on Instagram at Real Martha Riley. My name is Colby, and I also co-host a podcast that happens to be called Martha and Colby Grow Up. Not the same show, though. Uh, And I also co-host a podcast called Never Made Varsity. I have seen every single episode of Avatar The Last Airbender and Avatar Legend of Korra. You can find me on Twitter at Colby Complains. My name is Ariel, and I podcast and write. My podcasts are called Geek 101 Podcast, where we review things and talk about things that are all geek and all nerd. Uh, my other podcast is called NBA Asians, where um, we are nerdy, basketball, and Asian. Um, you can find me on Twitter and the internet uh, at Portly Island Boy, uh, which is a nice scrubs nod for all of you fans out there. But we are going to get into the Avatar The Last Airbender. Po- oh, by the way, I have seen all of Avatar The Last Airbender. I got to remember to do that. We're going to talk about the first two episodes of Avatar The Last Airbender, but first we want to get into why we are making this show. If you're listening, this is, in fact, episode one. Martha, why don't you tell the audience why we are starting the Four Nations Report? We are starting this podcast because our fans want us to. No, it's also because it's releasing on Netflix for the first time on May 15th. So, well, I guess I don't know if it's the first time, but it's the first time in a long time that it will be available widely to watch. Currently, you could buy it, you could have it on DVD, or you can do I Do, which is doing a Nick Jr. trial (laughs) to watch these. (laughs) Um, and I am interested in, you know, doing this with you guys because I have, I'm not really like a big animated fan. I like some of the animated movies, but in terms of TV, um, most of what I watch is with non-animated characters. I was going to say real people, but that felt mean. So, <laughs> um, I, I am not really familiar with a lot of the show and everyone I know just s- says how good it is. So I'm excited to do this and to learn more about what you guys think. Cause I know y'all are really big fans. Cancel Martha. She's racist. <laughs> Hashtag Martha is over party. Martha, we're going to focus on you a little bit because you haven't watched Avatar. I think, Kobe, it's safe to say that you and I are both super fans of this particular show. I think that's uh, that's comfortable to say. Okay. <laughs> what is your, as somebody who just recently watched episodes one and two, but rewind the clock just a day, what are your impressions as an outsider of the Avatar The Last Airbender series? 
That's a really good question. Um, I might be biased because the person that talks to me most about this is Colby. And ever since I've known Colby for like about a year now, it's always been Avatar is really good. But besides that, um, what I sort of know is that I know there is a ride at the Mall of America that is an Avatar The Last Airbender ride. Um, so I know it must have been popular enough to make that into an amusement park theme. Um, I also know that I feel like what I've heard and maybe from you guys and maybe from other people is that it's actually like very poignant and there's a lot of maybe adult themes, even though it's a kid show. I mean, before we get too much into it, we're literally like, you know, there's a war going on in, in this nation. What's, what's the nation called? I don't even know. I mean, it's kind of a world war. Okay. So there's literally a war going on and we see these young people dealing with it. And I think that's pretty interesting just because I feel like not a lot of shows talk about that in a way that's maybe easy to understand. Um, So yeah, I, I have, I'm excited to keep watching it. I think I don't know a lot. I have a lot of questions actually from this first episode. So I'm excited to get some of those answered. Um, But I'm, you know, I feel like I'm a couple years behind and maybe now's the time to revisit something from my childhood that I never watched. So, yeah. Yeah, this show premiered in 2005. I was 14. Colby, you were? Uh, 2005, I was eight or nine. I I think I was eight when this came out. This episode specifically? Okay. Yeah, I was 11. Okay, you were 11. Okay, so going back to kind of the the genesis of Avatar The Last Airbender, Colby, do you know what particularly drew you to the series uh, when you were nine, eight, nine years old? Uh, so I was a Nickelodeon kid. I was all about the, the SpongeBob and the Fairly Odd Parents, and... I don't know what actually got me to watch the show. All I know is once I started watching the show, I was ready for every single episode that came out. It probably was literally, I was watching Nickelodeon one day, they said a new show was coming out, and I had no reason not to watch it. So I did, and it ended up being my favorite show ever. How many times have you seen it all the way through, would you estimate, both of you? Uh, this is going to be my fourth time all the way through. I've only seen it twice all the way through. Once when I was a kid, when it was coming out, or teen. Uh, and then another time in my early 20s. Uh, there are a couple episodes in the middle that are difficult to watch for various reasons. Um, in terms of quality, they're all very, very good. But uh, there's a little bit of emotional turmoil in there that uh, Colby knows about. Um so the reason why I particularly love this, right? I was 13, 14, or 14 or 15 when this came out. Maybe a little older than I think that the main demographic would have been. Um, but I just want to throw this out there. Despite the fact that this was created and written by two slash three white guys, um, this was as good as Asian representation got uh, back in 2004. The... The most iconic Asian people on screen were uh, Bruce Lee, who had died decades prior. Um, Jackie Chan, who is an international icon, but is often portrayed as the, um, you know, as as a goofball. And he is, and he loves that. 
Um, but this was like one of the very few early positive Asian representations on screen. Um, and now the main character and the writers are all either voiced or created by white people. But I think you can definitely see and you know from the behind the scenes that there are a lot of Asian people behind the creation of this. And that the show, I think, is much like Game of Thrones, um, does not hinge upon solely hinge upon the competence of the top three, two or three people in charge. Does that make sense? Yes, but say more. So we know historically that in Game of Thrones, uh, when he often, wait, Benioff and Weiss are, were completely unqualified to create a show, create the show that they did. Um, They had never run a show before. They barely had any writing credits. But there were so many people who cared about what they were trying to do. That they put so that the the supporting people, quote unquote, the writers, the editors, the animators, the producers, they put so much effort into making that show great that for the vast majority of the time it was on, it was. Um, I think that you know the the three men who created this, um, Brian Konitsko, Michael Dante DiMartino, and Aaron um, Aaron E has I don't know how to pronounce his last name, um, are very very white and i don't think that three white guys can make a show with this level of cultural awareness without consulting the people whose culture they're borrowing from and they do if you watch i don't know remember if you remember this colby when you're a kid they talked about how much inspiration they got from asian cultures and how many asian people they brought in to consult on both the culture um you know things like the architecture the the clothing, you know, things like that. And of course the, the martial arts, right. Which is what I really gravitated to as a kid, because every person who was a master of martial arts was of course Asian. And, uh, most of the time couldn't do much of anything else. So I, I certainly, I think the proof is in like the, the, the background stuff, the see the extra scenes, the behind the scenes looks and stuff. But, um, I do think that the show doesn't get this great off the strength of two or three guys. I think it's certainly greater than the sum of its parts. For sure. And when I was watching the special features the other day, uh, the special feature in the first disc has them breaking down the styles of the different martial arts styles that went into all the different types of bending. And, you cannot get that level of detail without um without caring about the um the cultures that you're borrowing from even if you are an outsider so i we are going to be talking about appropriation and <laughs> um appropriation and borrowing from cultures and whether or not people should be can tell certain stories mm-hmm. but i do think that they they cared about getting it right as much as they can get right. Yeah, yeah for, for sure there. So, you know, this is a ton of shows come out on Netflix all the time. What makes this particular show worth talking about? Martha, as, as you know, quote unquote, an outsider, a beginner, do you have any sense of why this is worth talking about in comparison to, a, the billion other shows coming out on Netflix. 
You mean in comparison to Too Hot to Handle on Netflix? Um, <laughs> Love yeah. it for sight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of reasons, and I think you kind of touched on some of them above, and, and so did Colby on how this maybe borrows from other cultures and how it was a really big influence um, with Asian representation. So I think those are pretty good reasons. And then I think for me, why this is worth talking about is... It's it's just an interesting show that's really well done, and I, I'm interested to see, because it's only three seasons long, how they can condense everything in, you know, three seasons, because Game of Thrones, another show that most everyone knows, was eight seasons, very long episodes, and yet it was still unfinished, according to a lot of people, and according to me, they could have gone on longer, um, but... Yeah, so I I think there's a lot there to unpack and uncover in these like 22 minute episodes. So I I think it's a lesson in storytelling. I think that's why it's worth talking about. Colby? For me, I think that Avatar is perfect for Netflix. One, because if you enjoy other Netflix animated shows like Voltron Legendary Defender, the remake of the 80s show, uh, the two showrunners for that show, Joaquin Dos Santos and Lauren Montgomery, Lauren Montgomery storyboarded uh, book three of Avatar, and Joaquin Dos Santos uh, directed several episodes of Avatar The Last Airbender. So if you love those shows, which I the only reason I watched that show is because of their affiliation with Avatar, it felt like a matter of time before um, the show hit before Avatar The Last Airbender hit Netflix. So I think there are just a bunch of ties that made it inevitable. And I think if you enjoy animation, which Netflix is really good at right now, uh, you would enjoy the show. Yeah, I think you also um, you also have The Dragon Prince, which had one mm-hmm. of the, the writers, Aaron. Aaron, uh, how do I pronounce his name? E-H-A-S-Z. I have no clue. Okay. Well, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, it, it came out that he was like a raging misogynist. Um, oh, no. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which isn't great. Um, but he he, he did uh, create the Dragon Prince. I was under the impression that the other two guys created the Dragon Prince, Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Knitsko, and And it makes me feel better about not connecting with that show that that it was the other guy who turned out to be a raging misogynist uh behind the scenes <laughs> i i for the record i am a fan of the dragon prince i also like that show. <laughs> i mean I, I i think it was fine um i think i think part of what made me love avatar was the the asian <laughs> like the asian aspect of it yeah, part of the reason I love Dragon Prince was like, wait, we have a black king and a black in a black princess. Awesome. I, um, I don't know any of these shows. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> um, but let's. So my thoughts on on what makes it worth talking about is I don't think I don't think a show has come along that has been able to so eloquently presents such serious um like worldly adult issues through the lens of a kids show uh you have animated shows that are for adults you have you know things like rick and morty you have really great animated shows that are for kids like something like gravity falls but we'll get into this as the show goes on 
this village that you see is is ravaged by war. Um, there's, you know, I don't want to go, but but j- just from that alone, it's the it's these kids having to deal with the sense of community versus um, sense of self. Uh, you know, the there there's people have died from their village. There's imperialism, um, invasion. You know, running respons- like self responsibility. Uh, you don't get those themes in kids shows in the pilot. You get them four seasons in when audiences realize that kids that kids are growing with their, you know, with the story. But this this show, I think, decided to say, "Hey, we're going to start with this. It's going to be serious and." The kids, the nine-year-olds might understand it, might not fully understand it in that moment. But then if you get an adult, a 30-year-old, 29-year-old, in my case, watching it, like, it's going to, it affected me watching, going back and watching the pilot. Yeah, I, my memory as a kid is that it got serious a lot later than it does. But this show does not do the thing where it tries to trick you into thinking it's something else before getting into the serious stuff. Do you think as a kid you realized how serious it was, or is that something you didn't pick up on until later? Uh, probably in the middle of book two mm-hmm. is when, like what uh, what Ariel was saying earlier, is when I realized as a kid, like, oh, this is um, this is a lot. <laughs> well, no spoilers yet, so <laughs> we'll get there. No, I, I'm I'm leaving it there. Yeah, I, I think I think book two is when you kind of realize. That um, they're going to like we're not going to pull punches here. We're going to make you feel these things. Um, there's this funny bit in Friends where Phoebe is like singing songs to kids in like a, a library, and she's talking about like animals dying and like people having sex. And she's like, the kids are like, "Are you the woman who tells the truth? Can you keep singing the songs?" And, like that's what that feels like. Like Avatar is telling kids the truth in a lot of ways, and the truth of things that. Like, you might not recognize at 9 or 12 or 14 in episode 1, but as an adult, like, you really understand. Or even as a kid, like you said, Colby, by episode by seasons 2 and 3, they drill home what has happened to these people so much and in such both subtle and direct ways that you understand that this show was so much more than something like Power Rangers, uh, it's so much more than something like SpongeBob, which is being goofy. It's this tight narrative structure that introduces um, that that talks about like the perils of war or something like 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 it's uh, like for example, I think this is better, more like it's like tighter structured and and more direct in their in what they're trying to say than something like Harry Potter, which people love. Um, Harry Potter does it in very like. Well, first of all, she's she's kind of racist, J.K. Rowling. Um, a little bit, tiny bit. <laughs> you have one Asian character her name's Cho Chang. Um, that's all I gotta say. But but yeah, I just I just think they they decided to they decided to not sugarcoat things for kids. They eased you in, but they never sugarcoated. And I appreciate that a lot. I I agree. Well, I don't know if I agree with you yet, just because I haven't seen the rest of the episodes. But I I can tell the underlying themes. But I also do appreciate 
how it's also fun. Like Aang is cute. And when they go like penguin sliding, that's really cute. So I think I'm interested to see how it balances between like the cute and serious factor, Mm -hmm. because right now I don't, I can sense it's coming, but I haven't gotten the full effect of that yet of that yet. (laughs) Yeah. I guess it is a little weird to talk about how, serious and dark this show is when like there's a five minute penguin sledding yeah. detour in the middle of the first episode so we'll see but maybe this is a good segue to get into the episode does anyone have any more thoughts before we dive down the penguin sledding hill <laughs> no I, i'm good awesome so uh, most podcast episodes that we're doing will coincide with singular episodes of the show. So uh, even though literally it's not, we're doing the first two episodes right now. Um, but we will let you know at the end of each episode what episode or episodes you need to watch next for next week. So just a note before we get started. But do we want to go ahead and do a quick episode breakdown? Sure. Um, Not by me, because I don't know enough. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Kobe, you want me to do this? Yes, please. Okay. So in episode one, titled The Boy and the Iceberg, going back to the headline of the show, um, we we find the Avatar. So you're introduced to two characters, Katara and Sokka, who are uh, brother and sister from the Southern Water Tribe. Uh, They are... They're out fishing for their tribe. You find later that there are almost no adults in the village. They are two of the three oldest people in that village. Um, You learn that Katara is what's called a waterbender, and waterbenders are able to manipulate and move water through motions. Um, And you'll find that every element, water, earth, fire, and air, um, all function in very similar ways. They discover... A gigantic block of ice, which um, holds a young boy named Aang, who's 12. Um, you know, if you've watched the first episode, you learn that Aang has been missing or has been stuck for 100 years. And that um, during that time, the Fire Nation has invaded the rest of the world and is now waging a war against the rest of the world. So it's the Fire Nation against um, the Air Nomads, the Water Tribes, and the Earth Kingdom. Um, and then you are also introduced to a young prince named Zuko and his uncle, who is, in an effort to regain his honor, I think they make that very clear, is trying to find the missing, the avatar who has been supposedly missing for the last hundred years. Am I missing? I don't think I'm missing anything. No, I think that nope. sounds good. I had... Uh, a question about how old he was so thank you for answering that but i right i was like there's i don't know how old he is i don't know how all these like the ages confuse me uh so So off the top of my head ang is 12 or 112 katara is 13 Sokka is 14 zuko is 14 yeah that sounds right that's the right ranges at least well, those, I guess, are our main characters. So we have Sokka, Katara, Aang, Appa, the little flying <laughs> buffalo that I love. And then we also have Zuko from the Fire Nation and then his uncle, Uncle Iroh. Am I missing any main characters for these two episodes? Gran Gran? Nope. <laughs> Graham, Graham Graham is a main character. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love Grand Graham. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some of the thoughts I had the episode. I do not remember the. This is Sokka. He's a boy, and this is Katara. She's a girl. Like I don't remember that dynamic being as um, stringent as it is in this first episode. Well, it, I wrote that down too, Colby, because I think the the first scene is. Um, oh my gosh! I now I need to remember all the names. Uh, Sokka is explaining to Katara how to fish, and I was like, "Oh, cool! Love to see that." And even even then, Katara was like, "You know, like I do all this, like I even do the laundry." So I was like, "Oh, these are pretty big, you know, gender roles." But then she's also, from what I understand, the only waterbender. So I was like, "Man, you should show more respect to your sister because I feel like she could beat you up." But that's just me. Yeah, she is. She is the only waterbender in the Southern Water Tribe. Um, they mentioned the episode. They, this is not the only uh, water tribe. The other one is on the North Pole, which seems like very poor planning. Well, we are also Im- implied that um, all the other adults in the village went off to war, and and even as a kid, I assumed that there were waterbenders. You know, if you if you have somebody who can just throw boomerangs and try to stab people, and then you have somebody who can splash tidal waves upon you you probably want those tidal wave people in war with you yeah especially since the fire nation's biggest strength is their navy yeah which is interesting because the navy is water based so well no yeah 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 they are okay not familiar with my military branches as maybe i should (laughs) be but um i had a note that their boat kind of looks like a pork chop <laughs> it uh so that's about the depth of my no just kidding. um but it, it did i i was i i think i like i was talking to with a friend about this um the other week when we watched the little mermaid and you can tell that the animation is just simpler like it's maybe not perfect but i do kind of like the flat 2d versus you know, something like Zootopia or something. I don't know why Zootopia is on my mind. Uh, so I did appreciate that. And I think it's it's pretty clean and easy to look at, I would say. You can tell they were animating on a budget in this first season. I, the I think the animation looks a lot better, especially come the third season, where, if I remember correctly, they add some 2D computer animation on top of the hand-drawn stuff. Um, but I, I just don't know if they had the capital to spend a whole bunch of time and money on animation this first season. Yeah, there's a, there's a clear difference, yeah. Um, continuing on, I thought Breaking the Ice, if you got mad, like, that was pretty cool. When I get mad, I just kind of, like, sit and simmer and... I, I wonder what would happen if I had some sort of power. If I got mad, what would happen? Like, would I burn something up? Would I break ice? I don't know. Start an earthquake? I don't know. Well, I I enjoyed that because it's kind of like the the fantasy trope of you get your your magic person. Um, it, it happens twice in these first two episodes: once with Katara and once with Aang. Where the first time you see the magic person use their magic, it's really really big but you don't see it anymore until they learn how to gain that skill. Um, 
it happened with Katara when she broke the ice. It happened with Aang towards the ep- end of the episode uh, with the Avatar state, um, which we can talk about later. Um, but it happens with Harry Potter when uh, he's talking to the snake and then the glass disappears. Um, it happens in the Magician's book, more clearly than it happens in the show, where he's doing like a card trick and he makes all the cards explode in his entrance exam to Magician School. Um it's a trope that I love. I like fantasy. <laughs> I really like seeing that big show of force early on just to see what the characters are capable of. Yeah, and what I really like about Aang is that we we get that little glimpse of the Avatar state towards the end of episode two, but his nature as a pacifist means that you never you never really see him kind of go all out. Um, because you, I think you learn early, and I, I, this is not like a spoiler, but he's he's very clearly way more advanced at his element than Qatar is at her element, um, and be, it's because he's like it's because he's the Avatar, right? He's special, uh, and you know it, it prevents it prevents the show from having kind of that Superman problem where he just he just doesn't want to hurt people, so he's not going to hurt them in the way that he physically can and i really enjoy that um because as the show as he realizes what he has to do they show more and more or, or he has to be creative they show more and more of ang's powers i have a clarifying it- question about ang and the avatar so if he so there's a line later on the in the episode when he's like I they ask like, hey, do, do you know the Avatar? And he's like, oh, like I don't know who it is, but I did know a couple of people who did know. I never met him. Um, so is he not the Avatar? Like that was just very confusing to me. Even though it's called Avatar: The Last Airbender, um, I'm confused about how you become an Avatar. And I know at the end of this episode or the end of next episode, I think he. He water bends, but he's like, "Oh, I don't really know how to do that." But yeah, he does. So, is this dude lying about his powers, or we just don't know the backstory yet? Ariel, do you want to take Avatar lore? Sure. Yeah. Um. So you don't know the backstory yet. They do explain the backstory, and I think it would be wrong for us to to move forward in that way. Um, the mere fact that he can water bend tells you that he is the Avatar. Okay. Be- because only the Avatar can has the possibility to do all four elements. We won't tell you why. We won't tell you what happened because they do explain it relatively soon. But Katara, no matter how hard she tries and how hard she trains, she would never, ever be able to airbend. Mm. I don't like not knowing things. <laughs> but and, and they do they do talk about how one becomes the Avatar. Okay. Um, the next episode, um, you get a little glimpse of it. And then they, they talk about it more... Um, as the as the episodes go on, uh, yeah, and I, I think that this show, above many, 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 many other fantasy settings and worlds, it does a great job of explaining how everything comes to be. Um, even in 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 Korra, they ex- they answer kind of like the last few unanswerable questions. I don't want to bring up bring about that they they also like bring upon a, a lot of unanswerable questions, but um, <laughs> but. In terms of like they they keep they keep the fantastical elements relatively simple, like this nation does this, this nation does this, blah blah blah, and then they answer all those questions, um, which is I think great. They never like in Harry Potter, 
because uh, it's just an example that everybody knows, like the magic makes no sense. There's no sense of sacrifice. There's no sense of cost for a lot of it. Um, like why can you let some make something float in a lot of other magical worlds? You have to, you know, for example, um, like full metal alchemist, if you want to turn, you know, if you want to get 500 grams of gold, you need to provide 500 grams of something else. Um, there's no cost in that. There's, this is very simple. Certain people can do certain things only. They can only do those things. And here's how they learned how to do it. Right. Um, this is where like hard magic versus soft magic comes in. Uh, Avatar is pretty hard magic. Um, like um, Ariel was talking about with the, it costs something to do something. Whereas something like Lord of the Rings, uh, Wizard of Oz, Star Wars, like no one knows how the force works. I mean, there are like different like novels that I'm not going to read um, <laughs> that, that like, like goes in depth into like midichlorians. But as far as like the main lore, they really don't talk about how hard you need to push to push someone over with the force. Right. And I do appreciate though the stories that do tell you, like Full Metal Alchemist, which I'm still watching, which all my friends are telling me to watch, um, <laughs> which I'm still watching, uh, tells you how all of it works. And both do it pretty quickly. Well, we'll yeah. see, won't we? I'll come back next episode and know everything but um so katara breaks this ice and bam there's a huge iceberg with a person in it what would you how would you react to this i mean we know it's ang in the show or i guess maybe if it's your first time you wouldn't know that but um i mean it's like who else would it be <laughs> so what would your reaction be if you found someone in an iceberg just a uh, quick quick uh detour here I mean, someone with glowing eyes and glowing tattoos that I assume they've only heard about the tattoos and stories since this is actually something I was thinking about when the episode comes up. Katara, when Aang is like getting dressed the next day or whatever, um, she sees the tattoos and she like gasps. And I wonder if she knows what an airbender looks like. Right. Because airbenders have those tattoos. Like, I wonder if there are just stories about the this um, group of humans who, whenever they learn how to bend, they get their tattoos. Like, I wonder if she knew all of that when she saw Aang, you know? Uh, so, yeah. For, for me, I get frustrated when, um, like, for example, if I'm, if I'm watching, if I'm reading a DC comic, an early Superman comic, and they're just like, magic exists? And I'm like, dude, like there's a guy in blue tights flying around shooting lasers from his <laughs> face. Like this is perfectly within the realm of possibility. Um, and I think their reaction works, right? Because they're respectively 13 and 15. Um, if that's Uncle Iroh seeing that, like he doesn't bat an eye, right? He knows what's happening. Mm-hmm. I think I think the action works because they're kids. I agree, and also, like, they would not see anything like this in the past hundred years. Yeah. So, like, I even by, like, the, the adult women in the village being like, what is happening? <laughs> um, just because there, as they, as they mentioned, there hasn't been an avatar the past hundred years. So, I, I totally, that's a good way to sell the wonder of the show, and it's still making sense. 
Yeah. So you're saying I need to get avatar tattoos when this is all over. Got it. Yes. <laughs> I'll add it to my collection. <laughs> I, I have a friend um, who is bald in every... A friend who is bald, a bald man as a friend. Um, and then every Halloween, he dresses up as Aang. He paints, up, he paints the arrows on, oh, nice. <laughs> on, his, um, on his head and hands. It's really funny. So after the iceberg, or I guess before, I don't remember exactly, but we get our first glimpse of the Fire Nation. So Prince Zuko and his uncle. Um, dude is a little hot-headed. Uh, I'm feeling a kid should not have that many anger issues but again i don't know his backstory really so maybe he does have something to be mad about i don't know mad about did i say bad about i don't know uh yeah he's missing his honor martha (laughs) can't relate never lost mine um zuko is one of the characters that many 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 people really latch on to as the series goes on um that's all i'll say about that Hmm. All right. Uh, Zuko, voiced by Dante Bosco, uh, Filipino American, and who many people would know um, as Rufio from Hook. Also, as uh, Jake Long in American Dragon, Jake Long, <laughs> which is my other attachment point to Dante Bosco. But, but he like, sounds here's familiar, a- but I don't know who that is. So. Um, like here's the thing, Colby. Like Jake Long was like the other like Asian American like thing. Like this is a thousand times better than Jake Long. You, oh uh, yes, you know like, like it's crazy. So, so much better t- than Jake Long. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I also wrote about how you know this was for network television and there are some bad commercial breaks. Like it's pretty obvious, like fade to black and then like come up again. And I just thought I wrote that down. I thought that was funny. But um, the first time that Katara sees Aang, I I ask, is this like an imprinting situation like Twilight? Because it felt a little, I was like, y'all are too young to be falling in love. But what do I know? I'm single. So... (laughs) Did you read it as love? I did, yeah. Or like some sort of protective shield. Um, Maybe that's just like how I'm conditioned. But yeah, I did read it as love. So what about you guys? I just read it. I just, he's 12. He has a crush on her. That's, that's all I read it as. Yeah, comes out of the iceberg, looks up, sees a cute girl. I mean, that's about all it takes for, for <laughs> yeah. a 12-year-old kid. <laughs> yeah, 100 years, you're probably deprived um, of any well, human he, contact, he, really. He doesn't know that. Yeah, oh, that's true. Yeah, because he says he thought he was only in it for a couple of days, so that's interesting. Um, how time passed. I actually wrote down, I feel like he... It reminds me of Aragorn in Lord of the Rings, which I just watched yesterday. Um, but you discover that Aragorn is like 87, uh, even <laughs> though he, he looks darn good. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Good genes. <laughs> and, if and if we slip into the second episode, which has less going on because most of it is action, one thing that really stood out to me is when Zuko finds out that the avatar isn't an old man it's a kid um one picking like picking up gram gram thinking gram gram is the avatar is hilarious <laughs> two when he says you're just a child and ang says you're just a teenager i laughed out loud but also that's really sad 
that it's like like this is a straight up like this is a war and he's trying to win back his honor whatever that means um but it's a like this 14 year old fighting a 12 year old is i don't know that's that really hit me this time around so go go ahead um i just think it does a great job with with showing you that like zuko has been bred to do this he's like a he might be 15 but like he can beat anyone on on his on his ship minus probably his uncle um ang is special he's the avatar even though he's 12 right we know that he's more or less mastered his element um i think it i think they they do a great job in showing you the difference between those two characters and sokka who gets treated like he's like he's a child um and and how the show has to like bring those characters up at a certain point uh because war has turned war has actually made zuko into a man and Sokka is still a boy playing at being a man. I think that the difference between those two is very, very, um, very uh, apparent. And I think very intentional. That was another question I had, uh, like Zuko's motivations. Is he just really floating, you know, the seven seas to try to find the avatar? Like that's it. He wants to restore honor and glory. Um, or does he have other motivations that we just don't know about yet? He is full tilt trying to get the Avatar. You'll figure out why later in the series, but uh, yeah, he wa- he wants that Avatar. <laughs> um, is there? Uh, I'm just trying to move it along a little bit. It's, we've kind of been talking a while, but if you guys have anything else to say, let me know. But um, I wanted to ask: Is there? A, we talked about this, I think, before we started recording. But is there a significance to the elements, like? Zuko is hot-headed because he is fire or he is fire because he is hot-headed or is there something that again that I maybe don't know um about the elements that we learn later um your personality has nothing to do with your element I think you'll find that Katara even in episode one is a little hot-headed and you'll find that Aang is very go with the flow. Um, and from a personality standpoint, you would think Aang would be water and Katara would be fire. But uh, like, I think they, I think they do a, a good job as the series goes on to show you that um, that your personality has no bearing on your element, and corruption and evil can be found everywhere as the three seasons go on. I also think the series does a good job of showing different sides of elements where you see Izuko is hot-headed, but uh, Uncle Iroh is literally, yeah. which I think they just call him, I don't know if they say Un- Iroh in this episode, but he's Uncle Iroh. I think they just called him Uncle. Um, he is just warm. <laughs> he's just kind of a warm presence on, on that ship. Um so I think that's something to look out for, like the different size of water, the different size of earth whenever we get to the earth kingdom. Well, to be continued. <laughs> um, and okay, I have one more question and then observations. Cause basically um, we see that, 
uh, Zuko sort of sees Aang playing with all of his friends and they're like, yo, well, because of, you know, the big light blast or whatever, uh, we, we have to investigate this. Let's chart a course to the water nation. Um, and we see, you know, the introduction of the water nation. It's really small because they mentioned that all of their fathers have gone off to war. How long have their fathers been gone? That's a good question. Um, they do address it later on. Um, you'll find that the tribe, you'll, you do see what has happened to that tribe as the years have gone on. Okay. But as you can see from that little telescope shot, the Southern Water Tribe is tiny. Yeah. Is that, I guess we'll find out. I feel like so many, like it's so hard to talk about that. I, I don't, because I don't want spoilers necessarily. So um, I I guess I'm excited to keep going. But I just thought the penguins uh, were really cute. That was a stray observation. You know, like there there is like cute and cute stuff and humor in this. Like, yeah. um this episode is a lot more slapstick than I remember, especially when uh, when Aang is going through the, the Fire Nation ship and, like, zooming up and down on the walls and, like, knocking people over, going in all the rooms trying to find his um, his glider. Like, it's funny. It's a, it's a good bit. Um, and then at the end of the episode, we sort of see them go off and uh, Aang is like, we're going to find you a master to Katara. So that's sort of where we leave off. Um, and yes, do we have any other stray thoughts about episode one before we get on to episode two? Um, I think that was the end of episode two that you just mentioned. Oh, yes. Uh, I mean, they, they both blend in. Um, well, we'll cut that part out then. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Uh, I think episode two, the thing that you see that that's worth noting is is you do you do see that Aang is incredibly crafty, and uh, you get a sense that he is way better at airbending than anyone else is at their element. I think that's pretty clear. He's a sneaky little bugger. Yeah. Um, but I think, Martha, I, I want to hear your thoughts on this. When Aang falls into the water and his eyes start glowing and he starts water bending, what, are your, what were your thoughts on that particular moment? Um, I was impressed. I feel like we haven't seen the extent of his powers yet, but based on the little water bending that we saw Katara do, um, I feel like this was far more advanced than anything she could do. So, yeah, I was just impressed. What are? How about we do this? What are some of your predictions, Martha, going forward? Let's do let's do a little hot take corner. Sure. Oh, okay. I mean, literally, like there's zero risk. Right, right, right. (laughs) Um, Well, there's got to be a romance somewhere. Um, There always is, no matter the show. Usually. I could kind of see it happening between Aang and, Aang and Katara, but I also could like maybe see um, Prince Zuko becoming a good guy and they'll get together. Uh, I honestly have no idea. I know almost nothing about this show. Um, and I I know that I feel like Uncle Iroh is going to come in and be an important character because I don't know like why they would introduce him in the first episode if he wasn't important so i'm curious to see how that plays out i hope they get to 
you know, the North Pole. I hope to get to where they're going. Um, Because I hope that, yeah, she can become the bender that she is destined to be. So I have high hopes that this will have a happy ending because I don't like things that don't have a happy ending. (laughs) (laughs) Am I right about anything? No, don't tell me. I'll I'll find out. Uh, Yeah, we will tell you. But I want to know. So hard. Um, Okay. On to episode two. The Avatar. That was episode two. What? (laughs) We finished it. Episode two ends with the the Avatar state. Wait. Yeah, so episode one and two are largely the same thing. Like, you know, they get into the ship. Zuko finds them. Um, and then he reaches the Avatar state. That's the end of episode two. That's why we did this. Oh. There's just so much of it in the begin of episode one is just them finding Aang. I guess my notes are shorter for episode two. That makes sense. I do have a couple of questions quick. Um, I, oh, and some observations. But I, I, I want to talk about Sokka because I do have sympathy for him because it must be hard to take over, you know, your tribe when all the men left, like you want to prove yourself because he did rush up to the fire nation ship and was like, you know, Hey, I'm going to fight. And then he just gets like tossed aside, which I felt bad about, but I do have sympathy for him. I think it's probably hard to, um, you know, do that. So this rewatch for me is going to be figuring out why I identified with Sokka so much as a child. (laughs) Uh, and then I wrote down that, is this well uh i I really like that these episodes are short because it does feel nice to not have to pay attention like gosh we're recording this we're already at i don't know 40 50 minutes so far and this is just like 40 minutes of show so i just imagine if we were doing like a 60 minute you know game of thrones type rewatch podcast which already exists so we're not doing that um it would it feels nice to not have to pay attention for a whole hour i got i got things to do so uh final question where are the geographical areas for each nation so we know the south pole we know the north pole where are the other ones um okay so i don't think this is very spoilery ge- i don't think geography is spoilery so uh so north pole so south pole we had the northern water tribe you have the southern water tribe we have the fire nation which is a group of islands and off of the group of islands or is there an ocean i think there's a sea or an ocean between the group of islands and the earth kingdom the earth kingdom is just a gigantic continent there are a couple islands that are owned by the Earth Kingdom, but the majority of it is just one large landmass between the North and South Pole, because that's how globes work. So, like, Pangea. Yeah. Uh, Pangea-esque, yeah. So, I, I think the, the easy thing you need to, to uh, you know, I'm looking at a map here. Um, the Earth, like like Kobe said, the Earth Kingdom is pretty self-explanatory. Um, but they're described as the Fire Nation, the Earth Kingdom, the Water Tribes, and the Air Nomads. Um, and that, like, pretty much tells you how how to expect what to expect from each of those uh, kingdoms. Does that make sense? Like, 
It does. The wording was, I think that the wording was very specific. Um, and I think you see that displayed in their geography. Uh, but yeah, the map's pretty easy. Just put an avatar map and it won't show you a map of like uh, Pandora. It'll show you the map of, of <laughs> Avatar The Last Airbender World. I mean, I have a couple of random observations here. Uh, I think the music's excellent. I think the music remains excellent throughout the entire show. I agree. I was looking at the composers, and the composer, one of the composers worked on, I forget their name at this moment, uh, worked on another show that I really enjoyed. I think I'm the only one who watched it. It was the Kung Fu Panda show that came on, <laughs> that came on Nickelodeon. Um, but I really liked that show, and I really liked the music from that show. Um. Great. And then the other note I had is that the director for episodes one and two is actually Dave Filoni, who I many have people that note would too, actually, yeah, yeah, many people would know as the showrunner of the Star Wars Clone Wars series, um, and the Mandalorian I, more recently. Well, yeah, I think he's a like a producer on there. Um, weirdly enough, I I don't like a lot of what Dave Filoni has done with Star Wars, but he undoubtedly knows how to make how to make an animated show that is more than just like good or okay. If that makes sense. I think his, one of his strengths is really building, like receiving a universe and building out from it. Say more. Yeah. I, I think he's really good at like taking a chunk of lore and being able to build a lore out of it that makes the world feel lived in and feel real like never once did i think like oh this show just like popped into like this world popped into being when the show started which is one of the risks you run when you invent a a world or you invent a city is that it doesn't feel like anything has ever happened happened to it until the show starts i think that everything that he's done does a good does a good job of making those worlds feel real yeah. in a way that other Star Wars things do not. <laughs> yeah, he he certainly builds on um, on what what has existed. I don't know if like I, I think I don't know if you're implying this, but like the sequel trilogy does not build on the original in a way that the Clone Wars does. Um, I just think, frankly, he's better. I don't like a lot of the decisions he's made as a result of it, um, but that's just that's just preference. There, there's, there's no doubt that he, you know, he decided that this was the right way to do it. But he's doing he's crafting it in a way that makes that makes sense structurally. And um, and obviously, when you watch the the sequel trilogy, especially as a whole, right, um, it just doesn't work. Like it just doesn't. The lore doesn't work. A lot of a lot of it just doesn't make sense. Um, and, and his stuff while, you know, the Filoni stuff just, just makes sense. Now I, I don't know Colby how much he, it's, it says here that he just directed episodes of, of Avatar, the last airbender. I don't know if he, Oh, did had any part in like the, the lore about it. Yeah. Hmm. So, um, 
I this is so weird. I, me and <laughs> Ariel are going to fight about <laughs> the Legend of Korra by the time this, by the time the show is over. <laughs> um, because it is something that I love, and I I do I agree with some aspects of what you're saying. I disagree vehemently about some of the lore aspects for Korra. But we we'll talk about that when we talk about it. Um, I I only don't like Korra. Because of where it ended up, um, if you see like the final battle of the finale, like to me, there's it, it jumped the shark. But we'll talk about that another time. The lore, we'll I talk like. about it another time. The lore, I... <laughs> the lore is fine. I think I think the lore is perfectly fine. That's not the discussion to have here. Uh, <laughs> Martha, anything else in regards to episodes one and two um, of Avatar: The Last Airbender? I am just excited to get to know his backstory a little bit more because that's something uh, that is still largely unanswered. I mean, like, we have the general gist of it, but there's a lot, yeah, I guess, like, lore I'm interested in. And, yeah, overall, I I think I'm excited. I I think I liked episode one a little more than episode two, but I think the first one was just, like, so well done. Um, and you just get so much information in those 22 minutes, but it does flow really nicely into episode two. So I, I think it has that going for it. And the set is really great. Um, yeah. You thankfully for you, you will get a bunch of backstory next episode. Excellent. I <laughs> yeah. should go watch it now. Cause I need to know, but, uh, <laughs> What are you guys looking forward to as we go along in this podcast? Are there any highlights? You don't have to get into spoilers or anything, but certain episodes that stand out for you? Um, I think as I look through the episode list, I mentioned this off air. This is the most efficient television show of all time. Every episode has a great filler moment or builds upon the story in a very important way um kurt vonnegut once said uh never you uh, your every sentence should do one of two things um expand expand i'm paraphrasing expand upon a character or move the story forward and this show does that immensely you know i, I just got finished watching through five seasons of supernatural and there's so much of that show that is just nonsense or has no value to the overall story. And I like that's what I love about the show, but but like but Avatar is just it's three seasons, it's three books. They at no point felt the need to drag or draw anything out to make money. They just said, We're gonna tell the story the way it needs to be told. Um and the, the fillers are gonna be tight and the, the stories of plot are going to move it along and like you said it's it's 23 minutes um and so they don't have time to to have nonsense and, and it feels so you feel so satisfied by the end of it i think you would agree colby um by the end of, the, of book three for sure i think looking at book one um by the way if you've never watched avatar the seasons are called books <laughs> which is why we keep saying book one two and three um when I look back at book one, some of the storylines for some of these episodes feel like episode, episode, episode arcs that they accomplish in 22 minutes, which yeah. is unreal to me. <laughs> um, so I, I'm excited to, after, you know, living a little 
seeing, <laughs> like reading. Or I'm look, I'm 23 years old, but I'm like older than I was when I was nine. Or it was the beginning of college when I watched when I watched it the last time. Um, I I I'm excited to see what new things I pick up um, from, especially book one, since it's it's the haziest one in my head. Yeah. All right. Um. I Martha. Anything else, or should we wrap this up? Let's wrap or, it up. Our one last question here, right? Martha, if you were a a bender in the world of Avatar, what element would you bend? I would bend water. Do uh, I have to uh, explain d- why or do I just... Uh, yeah, why not? Because I live in Minnesota and there are a bunch of lakes. <laughs> it's practical. <laughs> Colby? Um... I would probably also pick water because I live in the South and it's humid all the time. And I'd like to be able to just have like, (laughs) just be able to take all the humidity out of the air for a little bit, at least around me. Okay. Um, So I took, I don't know if you guys know this about me. I took martial arts for a very long time uh, when I was a kid. So I was taking martial arts when the show came out Um, for about nine years. I was six months away from my black belt test when my school closed. So I'm not officially a black belt, um, but I am functionally. I my sparring style, which translates to kind of like how I play sports, it's it's earthbender all the way. Uh, firm stances, take hits, dish them back. Um, but but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely an earthbender through and through. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Four Nations Report. For our next episode, we are talking about episode three, the Southern Air Temple. You can find us online at www.fournationsreport.com and on Twitter at four, the number four nations report. See you then. Or shit, shit. We can end there. We're Just so leave. bad at ending podcasts. <laughs>